Welcome to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners, where we have interesting conversations with entrepreneurs and innovators in the NextGen investing ecosystem. I'm your host, Dan Mindis. We hope you enjoy the discussion. My guest today is Tessa Lau, the co-founder and CEO of Dusty Robotics. Dusty Robotics sells a robot that automates the process of layout in a construction environment. Layout is drawing lines on the floor to show where walls, plumbing, and so forth uh, should go. Tessa is a serial entrepreneur in the robotics industry. We talk about how she arrived at the specific product she wanted to build. We talk about her big vision for the future of construction and lots of other topics. I personally love chatting with Tessa. I'm thrilled to be an investor in her company with NextGen Venture Partners, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Tessa, thanks so much for joining me today. Pleasure to be here, Dan. Let's go back before Dusty Robotics. What were you spending your time on? So just prior to Dusty, I was a co-founder and CTO at a robotics company called Savio. And we were building robots that would deliver room service to people staying in hotels. Uh, we had a fleet of uh, almost 100 robots by the time I left that were deployed all around the world. And you can imagine if you were ever staying in a hotel and you got really hungry at midnight and you wanted a sandwich, uh, if you're staying in one of our hotels, a robot would bring that sandwich to And that was one of ours. And so you spent a number of years working at that company and building that robot before mm-hmm. going on to Dusty Robotics. What were some of the key lessons learned? And maybe let's start with what were key lessons learned from a sort of building a product perspective, and then maybe we'll transition to key lessons learned from a sort of leadership perspective. Absolutely. I mean, I learned so much through that experience um, that I, I wouldn't be here with Dusty if I hadn't had that experience. So I think um, one of the biggest uh, things that people don't necessarily know about robotics is that there are a million decisions that go into building a robot. And when you start from blank slate and you have nothing, you're trying to create that first prototype, uh, there are all these choices that you have to make in order to, to create that first thing, make it come into being. And the biggest thing that I took away from my time at Savihook was um, just basically learning how to make all of those decisions. Um, you don't always make them. You don't always make the right choices, and so you learn when you make a mistake. Uh, you learn about the consequences of those of those decisions, um, and you see the thing, as you see the, the product come together. You realize uh, what went into it and where you can do better the next time. And so, one of the biggest things that I'm taking away from Savia as we're moving into Dusty is. Um, what does it take to actually build a robot? How long does it take? How can we uh, budget time and resources and uh, uh, effort that go into actually creating that first product that's actually going to be in a customer's hands? For folks who are software people, who are sort of bits, not atoms folks, um, <laughs> what's sort of the shorthand way you describe the difference when you're actually building a robot? Uh, you know, I'm a software person myself. And uh, one of the biggest surprises that I got when I got into robotics is that software is very uh, is very deterministic. You know, if you have a bug, you can pretty reliably reproduce it. And the challenge with hardware is that hardware breaks in all sorts of crazy ways that you can never anticipate. Um, and that, and oftentimes you don't uh, you don't trigger those bugs until the run, until the product is out in the real world on a customer site performing its job. Um, and so designing product hardware products compared to software products, uh, you, it's a lot more challenging because you can't 
uh, you can't test it in the lab. Um, and the operating conditions that you have are going to be so different from your in-house testing conditions that you really have to design carefully uh, in order to make it all work. And transitioning over to kind of lessons from Savvy Oak that you're taking into Dusty Robotics as a leader. As a leader. So um, one of the, the biggest challenges that startups face is finding product market fit. And with a hardware product in particular, especially a robotics product, that is a really hard, um, it's a hard bar to hit. Because you, it takes so long to create the product that you don't have a lot of time to just really iterate quickly and test and build what you want to get around the customer pass. Um, and so you have to be very intentional uh, about exactly what product you're building for who before you even start building the product. And I think that was one mistake that we made uh, in, in my previous company, and I see a lot of other robotics companies making that mistake as well. Is, is that you start building a product first before you have your customer in mind, before you understand who's going to pay for it, why are they going to pay for it, how much are they going to pay for it. And so that was one thing that we did differently at Dusty, was that for the first six months of Dusty's uh, existence, I and my co-founder Phil were basically walking around on construction sites, just talking to people, and trying to understand what their pain points are and where our product would fit into their workflow. So that we knew that once we started actually building the product, there would be a market for it. And that's not something that I see a lot of robotics companies doing today. How did you, A, decide to go into construction robotics? Construction is a new industry for you. And B, yeah. uh, determine that what you are doing today is the right product for that market. Yeah, so I think that is like the most fascinating story ever. Because I think, so this is why I love startups, is because we get to solve these really interesting problems. So, um, why construction? So, I was, you know, CTO of this product company. We're building robots for hotels. Construction is like on the other side of the world from hospitality in some sense because it's a very chaotic environment. I didn't know anything about construction. It's like this foreign world um, that I, I just basically didn't know anything about. But um, I, I had this inkling. My, my co founder and I both were, were talking about it as we were finding Dusty. And um, we had this inkling that this might be a good industry for robotics. So in, um, in August, or sorry, April, April of last year, April of, no, it's now April of 2018, two years ago, um, I quit my job at Tabio, decided to found a new company. And at the same time, I was actually remodeling my house. Um, so, you know, I had workers coming to my doorstep at 7 o'clock in the morning every day, and they were carrying their hand tools. And they would come in and they would do some work on the house and I would watch the house being built around me. Um, and it was all done by people and they were all basically doing manual labor. They were very skilled workers, very, very talented, very hardworking, but they were basically still doing manual labor. And that's what gave me the idea that you know, maybe there is something there that we can do with automation that can actually help this industry. Um, and so, based on that experience, you know, as a residential home remodel, I started digging into all the different types of construction. It turns out that commercial construction is a uh, much better place to apply automation because the projects are a lot bigger. Uh, you know, imagine like multifamily housing developments or high rises. Um, the, each project has so much work, so many people going into it that it seems like there would be 
great opportunities to bring robots into the mix in order to actually do some of that work. And then as I discovered that the industry faces serious problems with productivity, um, they have serious problems with uh, skilled labor shortages, uh, it seemed like I'm just a, a better and better fit for Rise. And the product that you have in the field today, uh, give us the evolution of that. Yeah, so as I said, so we spent six months walking construction sites. So I bought a hard hat and we still took boots and we started pulling on all the people in our network to get us interest to people in the construction industry. And we actually um, tested out a number of different product ideas. Um, as we were doing this research, this customer discovery research. And every time we would come up with an idea and we'd run it past some of the people that we were talking to in the industry, we would say, well, you know, what if we made this, you know? Would this be useful to you? And um, when we get their feedback and, you know, people were, some people being excited about it, other ones would have a lot of objections. And so we used that feedback to uh, continually iterate on, on these ideas that we were coming up with. Um, because we didn't really understand the industry, we don't have a background in it, um, and and this was our fastest way to to basically test, hypothesis test, a number of different potential products, just really quickly, verbally, um, and uh, it eventually narrowed down to two ideas, uh, neither of which we're actually doing, but we had, we had two candidate ideas at that point, and uh, one of them was uh, doing cleanup for construction sites, so. Picture like an industrialized Roomba that would drive around on the construction site and it would sweep up all the dirt and the dust and clean up all of the junk that shows up on the construction site and just keep the site neat and clean. Um, people are, are responsible for doing that today. Everyone on the job site is responsible for cleaning up after themselves. Uh, probably about 1 to 2% of a construction project budget is spent on cleanup across all of the different trades. And so it's a, it's a real problem. Um, and plus, uh, clean sites are safe sites and they're more efficient sites. There's a correlation between cleanliness and productivity. So we figured that, you know, we could build a industrialized roof that would clean up after everyone on the job site and we could come through at night like a cleaning ferry and you'd come back on the site tomorrow morning and everything would be uh, perfectly tidy. And so we were thinking about doing that. We tested it with a number of people and we said, yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's a great idea. I would use that. And so we actually decided to start sweeping ourselves to really understand, make sure we understood the problem. So we picked up some brooms and some gloves and spent the day on the job site just sweeping up and um, trying to understand how all of the dirt flowed out from where it got created down to the dumpster out on the, on the street. Uh, we traced the, the flow of debris through the elevators and on carts and so on. And, um, and as we were sweeping, we were looking at the ground and uh, it was a big multifamily site, uh, peninsula here in the Bay Area. And we were looking around us, and we were sweeping, and on the floor were all of these markings. Uh, and they were markings that uh, seemed to be like in some kind of a code. So there were lines, there were circles, there, were, there was text, there were arrows, there were numbers, dimensions. Uh, so we asked people, what's, what's this? <laughs> what are these markings here, and how do they get there? What are they for? And then, that's when we discovered layout. And construction layout is basically the markings that tell people where to build, uh, where to put walls, where to install pipes, where to install light fixture, or where to hang a switch on the wall. Um, and all of that information, uh, it gets designed in CAD, and then it gets marked on the floor. 
and it gets marked on the floor typically by people on their hands and knees uh, using sharpies and string and measuring tape in order to mark it out. And so, um, and so we went back to all the people that we were talking to, and we said, "Well, what if we could build a robot that would print that layout on the floor for me?" And they said, "Oh my God, yes, I want that." Um, and so the reaction that we got was super positive. Everyone got really excited about it, um, and we kept, you know testing more and more people asking them, you know, what do you think about this idea? And people got more and more excited about it. And that's when we realized that we had our first product idea. And that's when we started building it. And what does the product look like now? Kind of where is it used? What value is being derived from it? So layout, this this process of construction layout is basically, it, it happens on every single construction project, on every floor of every building, every single tray has to lay out uh, their work before they build. Um, so it's, it's a central part of this process. And um, what we've done is we've, uh, we've figured out how to, um, how to automate this portion of the project in order to create better outcomes for our customers. So um, what, we've, what we're building, you can imagine, it's sort of like, a, a, I don't know, like one foot by two feet, two feet. Uh, metal box with wheels. It's got a, a printer on board, so it's kind of like a rolling inkjet. You can picture that. Um, and you know, take your take your desktop printer, put wheels on it, and that's that's basically what we have. And what it does is it takes in the the building models. Uh, so that could be the CAD, which is what's used by the old school architects and designers, or more recently nowadays, uh, more advanced companies are using what's called building information modeling, or BIM, which is basically like a 3D CAD for modeling buildings. Uh, so we take that as input, um, and that is basically the, like the, the equivalent of a PDF file for our printer. And so our printer um, it consumes that, and you set it up on a job site, turn it on, hit go, and it draws that model. Uh, so it essentially prints that uh, document on the floor in order for people to build off of. And then what happens after we come through is that the carpenters and the electricians and the mechanics will come through and actually install things exactly where we marked them. And that's how they know where everything goes. You mentioned the status quo in layout is people with Sharpies. Mm-hmm. What are the consequences of layout done improperly? So one of the reasons that people are so excited about what we're building is because um, human error is is pretty much a given throughout the entire construction process. And the entire industry has evolved in order to cope with and mitigate the errors that people make as they're building buildings. Uh, and so there's all these safety checks and, um, and things that people do. They, they double check, they triple check. Um, they send out another crew to verify what the first crew did. And so this is inherent in this entire construction process that people make mistakes and that you have to get, you know, you have to put safeguards in place, you have to processes, you have to put more people in place to uh, prevent those processes from impacting the final product, which is the building that you're building. So what we're doing is we're taking some of the people out of that equation. And we're saying that um, for this very crucial step of marking out exactly where things get built, we are making it so that there's no more possibility of human error. And what that means for our customers is that they can be confident that exactly what they design is what they're going to get. 
Um, some statistics are uh, anywhere between, I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but some significant portion of the cost of a project, I think it's around 15, 20%, comes about, is, is, is spent dealing with what they call rework, which is where they have to build something twice because they made a mistake the first time. And so by ensuring that there's less human error in the process, we're reducing rework and we are eliminating some of the risks that come with the project, which um, can uh, manifest themselves either in increased cost or increased time. Everyone wants their building done yesterday, uh, and part of the reason you don't get that is because people make mistakes. Well, we're eliminating those mistakes. Tessa, you described your robot in shorthand as uh, an inkjet with reels. Um, both, <laughs> both an inkjet and wheels have been around for a fairly long time, but I would imagine mm-hmm. that what you were building today would not have been possible 10 or 20 years <laughs> ago. What are some of the key enabling technologies that make the time ripe for this? So, I mean, one of the waves that we're, we're riding, we're riding several different waves that are all converging at the same time to make it possible for this. Uh, in the robotics space, on the technology side, there has been so much investment in robotics technology and components, sensors, software, um, systems that help build robots faster, better, cheaper. Um, so a lot of that is thanks to all of the investment in self-driving cars. Uh, another big chunk of that came from an earlier budget investment in video game consoles, which created all of these sensors that are now used by robots to actually see the world around them. So uh, on the technology side, that's that's what we're what we're leveraging. On our customer side, the market side, um, it's really only been in the past five or ten years that uh, our customers have started doing enough building modeling to make this product make sense for them. Um, ten years ago, people architects were still drawing plans on paper and handing that paper to people in the field and saying build this. Uh, and so what we are uh, seeing now is a shift towards using CAD, using BIM modeling in order to model out buildings digitally. There's a lot of benefits to doing that, which I'm probably not going to get into. But we're leveraging the fact that that industry is shifting in that way because that building model, that those, that, those CAD drawings are exactly what our robot needs to be successful. And so we can take those building models and we can put them directly on the floor. Um, and that information was already there as a byproduct of the process that our architects are using today. So 10 years ago, it was paper and pencil. The, the building plans were delivered in paper and pencil. That's moving to software. Let's, let's fast forward 10 years. Where do you think you will be, or what would you like Dusty Robotics to have achieved? So we really believe that the industry is converging towards digitization. Um, and it's happening at different rates in different parts of the industry, but uh, essentially the early adopters are leading the way, and what they're doing is they're creating a new uh, workflow where there's, it's basically a paperless construction process. So we're starting to see glimmers of this uh, with some of the customers that we're working with and some of the other early adopters in the industry. So uh, what if you could have a process where you could um, you know, you as an owner, you, you own this land and you want to build a, a building on it. You can design it out with software, you can click a button, and that building up there is for you. Right? That's, that's what we're moving towards. Um, what stands in the way is, uh, you know, robotics. 
that you know, we need more robotics, we need more digitization, we need better sensing, we need better automation. Um, all of those things are coming. We are part of that. And we are going to create a new reality where construction becomes as automated as manufacturing automation or manufacturing is today. Where you know you can get uh, that cell phone that's in your pocket and was probably built in a factory by robots. Well, houses need to do the same way. And that's what we're creating. That's a very compelling vision. I'm curious, to what degree were you advantaged and to what degree were you disadvantaged by being a newcomer to the construction industry? Yeah, so it's a very complex industry. And, you know, the more I discover, the more I, I realize there's more I need to learn. Um, but uh, we have a great set of advisors, and I'm, I'm hoping next time we'll also be part of that uh, advisory network that helped us navigate this space. So, um, you know, some of the things I've learned, um, uh, first of all, the people in the industry uh, tend to grow up doing things a certain way, and very few of them question why or whether anything can be done differently. You know, there are some that are forward-thinking and that are trying to change their industry, but for the most part, you know, the rank and file, they're comfortable, they have learned how to do it a certain way, and that's how they're going to do it. And so that's one of the, the reasons why it's so hard for construction tech startups to actually uh, change the status quo. Um, what we have going for us is uh, we, we realize that, right? We know that we understand how the industry works, we understand how things are done today. And what we're doing is we're creating technology that can be a drop-in replacement as much as we can for the process that's currently in use today. And so we are, uh, we're leveraging that inertia to say, okay, look, you, you, you know, here's how you've done it before. We're going to do it the same way, only better. And not just a little bit better, we're going to do it 10 times better. And that, I think, can work to our advantage because we're leveraging the fact that people are accustomed to things working a certain way. Well, we're going to have it work the same way, just with a huge set of advantages along with it. Tessa, when I think about your position, I see three distinct ways in which, as a woman, you're you're in a sort of an underrepresented position. You're a venture-backed entrepreneur in San Francisco. That's one. Two, you're in robotics. Three, you're in construction. And I'm curious how you think your experience has been uh, as a female compared to in, in, in three different worlds, overlapping worlds that are uh, dominated by men. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm lucky that I'm not the first. You know, one of my role models is Tracy Young, the CEO and founder of Flangrid, uh, one of the oldest and most successful construction tech startups. You know, they had a very nice exit in the water desk in uh, 2018. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not blazing new ground. Um, I wouldn't say it's easy, but then, you know, I don't think the startup job is easy for anyone, uh, regardless of gender or, uh, or ethnicity. Um, I think... One of the ways in which it benefits me is that, um, you know, you can always take uh, uh, a situation and turn it to your advantage. You know, people tend to underestimate me because I'm a short Asian female. But hey, you know, underestimate me at your peril. We're going to come and we're going to win. We're going to deliver better products. And it's going to work. Um, and I have the track record and I have the credibility and I have the team behind me that can actually make that work. So, you know, I, I'm not too worried about it. Last question, how did Dusty Robotics get its name? 
Dusty Robotics. Um, I love the name Dusty and, and our customers do too. Uh, we, uh, when we were trying to figure out what product to build, we actually, um, that was the same time when we were in discussions with our first investor, Baseline Ventures, about uh, around term sheet. And, you know, he, I was talking to Steve Anderson and he said, you know, the first thing, the only thing that's standing in your way of me giving you a term sheet is that you actually need to have a company. And so you need to name your company, you need to incorporate something, give you a term sheet. And so, okay, all right, I need to name the company. So um, Phil and I uh, wrote down a list of company names and um, we thought at that time that we were going to be building a cleanup robot. Um, like a Roomba for construction. And so that was feeding into our naming process. And so we threw out a bunch of different names. We were talking about like something generic like task robotics or um, job site robotics or um, I forget what else we were talking about. But, you know, there's a couple other names that we threw out. But Dusty um, was the one that we both kind of liked the most. And I called up some of our advisors in the construction industry and said, hey, what do you think of this name? Is it is it offensive? Is it, you know, does it have a negative connotation? And they all said, no, it's fine. And we liked it. And so we went with it. Even though we're not building a dust-sucking robot anymore, but we are working on dusty, dirty construction sites. And um, it has a lot of character. Oh, the other thing that went into the name is that one of the lessons I learned from my past company is that uh, you have to create a name that people can pronounce and spell even in a very noisy bar. Um, and so you, it's guaranteed that you're going to have to communicate your company name to someone in that kind of situation. You want it to be something memorable and that they can spell in the first try. Lesson number one, make sure your name can be communicated in a noisy bar. Tessa, thanks so much <laughs> for spending time with me today. This has been a great time. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. To learn more about us or to hear all of our past podcasts, please go to nextgenvp.com. And now for some important disclaimers. The information contained in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase any securities. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any performance or projections contained herein may be significantly affected by future events. Any opinions, assumptions, assessments, statements, or the like regarding future events or which are forward-looking constitute only subjective views and beliefs, should not be relied on, and are subject to change due to a variety of factors, including fluctuating market conditions and economic factors.